beten. Well, if you will, please uh, turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. We welcome you who are visiting with us. Our church has been going through the book of Hebrews now for several months. We are in that uh, important and somewhat uh, controverted chapter on the meaning of chapter 6, and we uh, are looking um, a little bit more closely, a little bit more slowly than we have some of the other chapters, just because sometimes there is a little bit of uh, disagreement among different denominations as to the meaning of this uh, chapter. So Hebrews chapter 6 today, we pick up at verse 9, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, and we will read through verse 12, verse 12. We are going to be uh, contemplating today, again, the subject of perseverance and assurance. The sermon is entitled, Diligence and Assurance of Salvation. So let's pray together. We want to ask for help, and then we'll read together. Let's pray. Our Father, we come again thanking you for the songs and the prayers that have been offered. Now pray that you might speak to us through your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify us, please, by the truth. May we indeed see Jesus Christ, and may he be accurately portrayed before the eyes of us all. May we love him, Lord, with a sincere heart. And may the Lord any who are here today that may never have known Jesus Christ in their life before, may they come to know him today and believe on him whom they love. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Our text again is Hebrews chapter 6, beginning from verse 9. For those visiting, I'm reading from the New American Standard. It may differ a little from your version. Verse 9, Hebrews 6. But, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen. Now, for the past couple of weeks, we have been looking at the pastoral warning that the author of Hebrews has been giving this congregation composed chiefly of Hebraic Christians, that is, those who ethnically are Jewish but have come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Last week, we were talking about the illustration that the author of Hebrews uh, provides, namely the two fields. The one field was a field that was blessed of God and had fruit and crops and vegetation in it. The other field was a barren field. It had thorns and thistles. It wasn't really good for anything but firewood. And so the author of Hebrews was warning the Hebraic Christians not to be leaving the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and going back to some kind of 
works righteousness under the law. And you can understand pastorally why this would be a real temptation if, you know, let's say you are converted to Jesus Christ, but much of your family has not. And there's a lot of family pressure. There's a lot of community pressure that is being put upon you. A lot of people in your community do not follow you as you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe there's a lot of suffering, even economic hardship because of it. Maybe people have lost their jobs. We don't know exactly what all the pastoral ramifications of this congregation you know, following Jesus Christ and leaving uh, the trust in the law for their salvation um, is doing. Uh, to them, and so we can understand, can't we, why they, there might be maybe some temptation among some of the people to say, you know, it, it was a little bit easier in life uh, before we started following the Lord Jesus Christ, and maybe you know they are starting to you know succumb to this temptation to pull back uh, from our Lord and Savior, and the author of Hebrews is trying to warn them against that. Um, and he is saying, look, that, that the, the, the law of Moses was a good thing and it was pointing you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the end. It's the telos of the old covenant. It was Jesus is the one to whom the old covenant was pointing. And if you, if you go back, then you're, you're missing what the old covenant was about in, in, in the beginning. And so... What I want to do is look at here the encouragements to perseverance that the author gives us today in three parts here. Number one, he wants to cause the people of God to recall that God is just and faithful. That's point number one. He is, we left off last week with the author saying he is convinced of better things for you than being a barren field. Remember that? He was warning them, but he's also encouraging them. So that's a good pastoral technique. The church and the pastor and the elders, we always want to be warning on the one hand and encouraging on the other hand. We don't want to warn people to the point where they are so shaken as to lose all hope that they're a Christian. But on the other hand, we, so we want to bring encouragement alongside. But on the other hand, we, we also want to warn. We don't want to pretend like there's no dangers out there for the people of God to fall into. So it's a combination. So the, the author of Hebrews is trying to do that. So number one, he says, we're convinced of better things for you because one, God is faithful and just. That's verse 10, point number one. Point number two, he, he urges them to show yourself diligent in your faith. He's convinced of better things for the people, but they're gonna need to show themselves to be diligent. And so he exhorts them, secondly, after encouraging them. And then number three, from verse 12, he calls them to be followers or imitators of the faithful. To be followers and imitators of the faithful. So the author of Hebrews is convinced of better things for this congregation. He wants to remind them that God is faithful in verse 10, but he exhorts them to be diligent in verse 11 and to be imitators and followers of the faithful in verse 12. So those three points are going to be our points this morning as we consider this text. Now, let's look, first of all, at verse 10. The first point here is to recall that God is just and faithful. I'll look at verse 9 with you again just for context. 
But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. That is, we don't think you're going to be thorns and thistles, worthless and cursed and burned up with fire. We're convinced that you are bearing real fruit for Jesus Christ. And things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking this way. That is, though we are warning you, though we are admonishing you, we still are uh, very encouraged that you will persevere and you will heed our encouragement and warnings. So verse 10, why? What is this rooted in? Well, it's rooted in the grace of God. In verse 10, he says, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. So he's saying here, we're encouraged that you're going to persevere. We're encouraged that you will continue in the faith, that you will bear fruit for God. Why? Because God is not unjust to forget your work that you've already done. Now, some of you inwardly right now are going, <gasps> because you think, oh my goodness, is the pastor preaching some kind of works righteousness here? Well, no. What is going on here? The author of Hebrews is doing this. He's saying, you should be encouraged as you look over what God has done in your life and the works that you have done in the name of Christ because they're not ultimately your works. They're what? They're the works of God through you. That's the point that the author of Hebrews is making here. Paul said, it's not I, but Christ within me. You know, I worked harder than them all, Paul says. You know, you got Peter, he worked hard, but hey, Peter had a nice domestic life. He was married, probably had kids, but I, Paul, I labored day and night, you know, through many hardships and missionary journeys and shipwrecked and imprisoned. I worked harder than Peter and James and John, but not I, Paul, but what? He gives the glory to God, doesn't he? He says, but Christ, who worketh all things in us and through us here. I think the author of Hebrews is saying the same thing here. But the point is, pastorally for us, I think you can look at your life and to say, and at, we're asked, you know, am I a changed person? Am I seeing evidence of God's faithfulness in my life? That's not to say you're grounding your hope in your works. You're looking for evidence of what? Of Christ who has worked in your life. That's, 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 a, that's day and night difference there. There's nothing wrong with examining yourself and finding good things. I think usually in our Puritan and Presbyterian tradition, we talk about self-examination because we're looking for the negative, right? And that's, we do need to do that. We do need to examine ourselves and, and we need to remind ourselves of the wretches that we are. And, and, and that as we come to the table today, that we humble ourselves before God, that we don't fall into a Pharisaic spirit and say, oh, righteous man that I am. You know, I thank thee, God, that I'm not like these other people in this church. I, Lord, I fast twice a week. I tithe of everything I have. You know, you know, you know. No, we, we, we don't fall into that. But that's not to say that there's anything wrong, though, with looking and saying, 
you know, God has done something in my life. I'm, I'm not the same person I used to be. God has really changed my life. I used to be a terrible sinner in this area of my life. And now I, I, don't, I don't touch that thing anymore. I don't touch that stuff anymore. I used to be this way. I used to be, you know, constantly mean and surly and ungrateful. And I was abusive towards others, even those closest to me. But, you know, by God's grace, God has softened me. And, and yes, though I still have episodes in my life, I am not where I once used to be. And I think that is the spirit in which we should read verse 10 here. God is not unjust as to forget your work. That is, God is seeing what you have done in the name of Jesus Christ, the work you've done here at Covenant Presbyterian Church, the work that you who are visiting, you have done in your home church, God is not unjust to forget what you have done. Not that the glory is all for you, it isn't, but it is all for God. But it is evidence that you will continue to be fruitful. It is Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will continue in you. God will continue to work in you. Let me ask you, um, are you encouraged by changes that you may have seen over the years and decades in your life? Are you seeing some improvements in your own area, maybe in your temperament, maybe in the things that, in your faithfulness into the, in the Word? Maybe, you, you know, you were a young Christian, and you weren't all that consistent in Sunday attendance. You weren't all that consistent in Bible reading. You didn't really do a very good job in leading your wife in the washing of the water of the word. But now you are. You've grown in that area and you're seeing fruit in it. Uh, maybe, maybe children, you, even at a young age, you can be seeing you know, little improvements in your life. Maybe you find yourself obeying mom with a little bit more alacrity. That was a little bit more speed, you know, a little less sluggishness. Um, but you do so more cheerfully. Uh, now, that should be an encouragement to you. Not that you're boasting in it before God in order that you might be justified by God, but that you recognize that as a fruit of your justification. The fruit that God is at work. He has declared you righteous in Jesus Christ and the Spirit of Christ is working in and through you. So that is the first area, I think, that the Christian can rightly look in their life and be encouraged. Notice here that he says, uh, God is not unjust to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. What is it that we must do? What are our chief commandments? To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. How many times have you done something where you were motivated by that commandment to love somebody else, to love my neighbor, and therefore to go and seek them out or to help them in a time in which they had need. He says, which you have shown toward his name. That is, you did this with an eye towards what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. He says, in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. 
so you can be encouraged that your Christian life is productive, fruitful, and will continue to be fruitful even as you're ministering to people in this congregation and those outside the congregation who need the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with examining yourself and finding something that is commendable in what God has done for you, okay? So that's point number one, to recall that God is just and faithful and he's at work in your life, all right? Number two, number two, the, the author of Hebrews is encouraged for better things for this group of people because, uh, one, they are being, God is just and faithful, but two, then he says, I want you, though, having looked at that, then to do this, and that is, I want you to be diligent and show yourself to be diligent. Now, this is really theologically, I think, very interesting. Because what is he doing? He's saying, look at the situation from the top down and the bottom up. What do I mean by that? He's really calling us here as Christians, if we want to grow in our assurance of our salvation, if we want to grow in our fruitfulness for the Lord, we look at the faithfulness of God, but then we also challenge ourselves under the grace of God to be diligent in everything that God has commanded us to be diligent in. That is, we're not relying on the grace of God to the neglect of any human responsibility. It is all of God, but yet we are truly responsible. Our sanctification, our growth in grace is all of God. It is a work of God from beginning to end, but it is something with which we are called in the grace of God to cooperate with. And the author here is, I think, doing just that. He is causing us to look up in verse 10, but then in verse 11, he is calling us to say, also, you and I, we need to be diligent about what we are responsible for. You young people, for example, need to realize, teenagers, you guys are responsible to grow in grace. This is not chiefly your parents' responsibility. You've got to take ownership of this here. You've got to read your Bible. You're the one who needs to pray. You're the one who needs to do the chores and love your mom and go to school and be diligent in school and do the things that God has called you to do at this season of your life here. There comes a point, as the Apostle Paul says, you got to put away childish ways. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I acted like a child, but when I became a man, when I become a woman, I need to put away childish ways. I need to take ownership of my growth in grace, my sanctification. I need to appropriate it uh, to myself, not just relying on the faith of my parents. I've seen where, um, you know, the uh, parents uh, and Young people, you know, have to providentially eventually go different ways and different paths. And, you know, when they don't have that parental structure, that parental grace in their life, a lot of times if they have not appropriated the means of grace themselves, uh, then it doesn't go well for them. 
They've been really relying on mom's faith or dad's faith or mom and dad's faith. And then they find themselves uh, in a jam uh, later on. So look at verse 11 together here. Look at verse 11 with me. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. So even though they are to look to God and his faithfulness in verse 10, secondly, they are to work. Show the same diligence. Apply yourself. Do the sweat and the tears that need to be done in order to grow in grace. The Christian life does not mean it's an easy life. It can be difficult to gouge out the eye and to cut off the hand. It can be difficult to put away sin and to kill it. It can be hard. It can be heartbreaking. It, it can put you on your face at times. But it must be done. We must do the hard work of giving ourselves to the means of grace and living out the commandments of the Lord. Now again, this does not mean this is the ground of your salvation. We are not commanding you to do this so that you can be saved. We're not, we're not commanding this so that you can be justified. Let me say that. We're not commanding this so that you can be declared righteous. We're, do, we're saying this is commanded as a result of your being declared righteous here. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to practice the commands of Scripture. You've got to love other people. You've got to love that person, whoever that person that just came into your mind is. You've got to love that person. Yes, that person. <laughs> You've got to love that person. You've got to be gracious. You've got to guard your tongue. That's a part of our sanctification. He who is able to bridle the tongue. Wow. You know, you're doing well if you can bridle the tongue, says James. You've got to keep away from evil. You've got to stay away from that online pornography. You've got to quit watching that illicit stuff that defiles you and leaves you with a bad conscience. You've got to put away evil company if it's dragging you into drunkenness and drug use. You've got to do this. Jesus said, it is better for a man to limp into heaven because he is mortifying his body than for the whole body to go into hell. It is better for you to cut off a hand, Jesus said. Now he's speaking, of course, Figuratively here, better to cut off a hand and for that hand to continue to be with you and you continue with that hand to sin against the almighty God. You know, as I, Pastor Al Martin said, you know, every if you want to go to heaven, you don't have to have a computer to go to heaven. But you do have to have holiness to go to heaven. You have to do the hard work of denying uh, the lust of the flesh and the sins that beset us, and they beset us all. And, and that is hard work. That is rigorous. Look, 
Planting the seed and watering the garden, that's the fun part of gardening, isn't it? And picking the fruit. It's the weeding we don't like, right? Having to bend over and pull the weeds. Nobody likes weeding. That's why I hate pine islands. I always got to weed them. That's why I like grass. You just mow it. (laughs) Spray it, mow it. The weeding is hard. Uh, It's it's, it's back-breaking. But, you know, the Lord has said, and, and he uses the most rigorous and vigorous of language, the gouging of an eye. You know, that's an ugly, terrible thought, isn't it? The, the, the cutting off of your hand? Uh, you know, who would, who would want to mutilate themselves like that? Now, Jesus is not calling us to self-mutilation. I think what he's saying is, though, it, it, it will be, in some cases, so painful. Because, you know, even once you're converted to Christ, that sin nature, it, it's like an addict. You know, a heroin addict who, who has come to Christ. But that intense desire for heroin is still deeply there within them. And there, there is a part of them that wants that drug back in their system. And their body goes through all kinds of physical turmoil as they move towards becoming more and more clean. And and, and that is the way it is with sin as well. We are converted to Christ. The dominion of the sin is broken. But that sin is still alive in us. And it doesn't want to let go easily. You know, kids, it's, you know, like the Lord of the Rings. You remember, have you read the Lord of the Rings? Tolkien fans out there? Gollum. You know, Gollum, he just had to have that ring, didn't he? He couldn't, he couldn't give it up. And it, it led him to his own death, didn't it? He pursued the ring to his own doom at the end. Uh, lust and sin is like that within us. It doesn't want to let go. It's my precious. And it doesn't like the fact that the Spirit of God is now at work in us. And, and, it, and it, it, it wants to react against the Spirit of God. The, Paul says that the Spirit uh, lusteth after the, uh, the Spirit, and the Spirit lusteth after the flesh, there's a, that is, it's a conflict. It's a war. And, and we read it in Romans chapter 7. In the end of Romans chapter 7, Paul describes for us what this is like. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me. I, I am a Christian, but the doing of good is not. For the good I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want to do. You ever sin and you wonder, why did I just do that? Why did I just say that? If I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. It's it's still there. It's still present. It's still a force to be reckoned with. I find the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. I I love the law of God. 
And yet I see a different law in my members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. You see, this requires hard work and diligence, doesn't it? And we need to give ourselves to that. You know, kids, I, I'm, am I, your parents, your elders, myself, you know, we're not trying to get on your case. We're trying to help fortify you. Some of you don't even know yet the battle that is coming. Um, and we're trying to help you now. You know, to prepare yourself, inoculate yourself, fortify yourself for the struggles that come with the teen years and that follow. And better prepared, I think, is that young person who at an early age has been diligent in giving himself to Bible reading and prayer and the means of grace. Parents, that's why we, we want you here more often than not here. You know, um, I'm not just harping on Sunday night church because it's my hobby horse, though it is my hobby horse. <laughs> but because you need it. Um, why don't you have your kids here at night? Uh, given the opposition of the flesh and the world and the devil, uh, you, know, the, you know, as Bob Godfrey says, why aren't we here three times a day on Sunday? Why just twice? Uh, because it is that hard to live the Christian life out there. And, and now, you know, it, it's, it's as hard as ever. The technology, in some ways, technology is a great blessing. You get more sermons, you get more teaching if you use it, but it's also a lot harder. There's a lot more pernicious stuff out there right in your teenager's back pocket in their phone. And we need to show ourselves diligent in the Christian life. Are you diligent? Have you slacked off in your diligence in serving Jesus Christ? Look at what he says here. We desire that each one of you, verse 11, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Now that seems to suggest that there is a full assurance, doesn't it? That there is the ability uh, in grace, in Christ, to attain uh, to an experiential walk with Jesus Christ that is deeper and wider than what we've known in the past, bringing us to a full assurance that we cross over the Jordan as though it was but a, a little trickle of a stream because we have attained to that full assurance of salvation through, you know, I think God, as he often does, he, he rewards obedience. He rewards faithfulness. And when we are obedient to the little commands in Scripture, to, to do those little things, um, God is pleased to honor those victories 
with more grace. And likewise, when we are unfaithful and we sin, is it not also the case that we often find it a bit of a struggle to get back on our feet again? Because we've allowed ourselves to backslide. And we have to pick ourselves back up and we have to make progress. And the progress seems hard at first. This is why we always want to improve upon the grace that anytime God brings a blessing to you in a sermon or you come to the Lord's table and, and the Lord brings the, the cross to your soul and, and with fresh power, you want to make improvements on that. You want to go home and not waste the rest of the Lord's day with the, and, and let it just wash away. But when you receive the grace of God and the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit, in a way that is a tremendous blessing. Maybe you go to a Christian conference or maybe you, you know, give yourself to some extra watching of sermons or you read a Christian book at home and there comes this refreshment to your soul. You want to make improvements on that and to be diligent in, in, in that and not allow that to be wasted uh, like water off the back of the duck, so they say. Show yourself to be diligent in your faith. Now I need to follow up with point number three. We recall that God is just and faithful. We show ourselves diligent to the faith. And then the third and final point is that we be followers and imitators of the faithful. Now we're going to take this theme up more when we get to Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. But let's get a taste of it today in verse 12. He says, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I'll read that again. So that you will not be sluggish, that is, so that you will not backslide, that you not become lazy in your diligence. He says, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Now, who through faith and patience inherit the promises? Well, Abraham was a man who had faith and patience, didn't he? He lived in the land that God had promised him, but yet he owned almost none of it. He owned a square little burial plot, but other than that, none of it was his. And yet God had said to you and your descendants, I will give this land. And what was Abraham looking to? Jesus tells us that he looked ahead to me and he rejoiced with faith. Abraham looked to the Lord Jesus Christ and realized one day the new heavens and the new earth would be his. And that he and his children would inherit the earth. And that he would be a father of many nations. And that the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Galatians that everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ becomes a true son and daughter of Abraham. It's even probably beyond all that Abraham realized. But there was a man of faith and patience. Noah was a man of faith and patience, right? Can you imagine the years that it took to build that ark and all the mocking and scorning that he must have endured through those years as they are building that ark by his neighbors? That Noah is insane. He is a freak show. He is crazy as a loon. Can you imagine, you know, Noah and his three sons weren't alone in building that ark. You know, they employed others, hundreds of others to build that ark. Can you imagine he had to endure it from the guys he's hiring and paying? You know, this guy is a nut job, but he pays well. 
faith to endure all that, patience to endure all the years of the construction, and then the judgment finally does come. And even that is a test of his faith and his patience, isn't it? When only he and his family get on board with all the animals to care for. Look at David. You know, David, even, even, after, even after Saul is, well, let's put it this way, even after David is anointed to become king, there's years of trial and tribulation before David realizes the kingdom, right? He has all that persecution to endure at the hands of Saul. Even after Saul is dead, he's got another seven years where there's this strife going on within Israel as to whether it should be a son of Saul or whether it should be David. Faith and patience. And we'll look more at Hebrews 11. But notice here that the reason I emphasize this is because the author of Hebrews is saying that one of the ways you can grow in assurance and perseverance is by becoming an imitator of those kinds of people. Imitating Sarah, imitating Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the rest, the prophets. And even, I would argue, by way of application, though this would not have been known necessarily to the author of Hebrews, but Christians in church history who are an example to us here of their faith and patience. You know, sometimes nothing puts, you know, fire in your bones faster, iron in your blood than reading about Christians in a different century who struggled, who had hardships that we have never had to experience. We don't have to experience some of these things because of them, because they did. And they paved the way for us to have greater blessings and liberties. When was the last time you read a biography, a Christian biography? Somebody who lived in a different culture, different century, different struggles, different hardships. There's a lot of good ones out there. But we can learn, I think, not only from the people that are listed in Hebrews 11, but also from church history. There's wonderful examples for the Christian to encourage you. We have our own trials and tribulations. We're not fighting all the battles of the 17th century all over again. But insofar as they're followers of Christ, we need to follow them. Paul says the same thing. Insofar as I follow Christ, you Corinthians, you follow me.